Well, I appreciate that reminder of where things are for us right now. If you have been tracking with us for a few weeks, you know that we have been in a series of talks and thoughts about going deeper with God. And kind of where we are with that today is, are you going to continue to go farther on with Him? Uh, We have been through a very intense season as we've gathered together on Sundays and as you've gathered in your small groups and as you've met one-on-one with God. Uh, the whole solemn assembly that took place for us uh, just a week ago. Uh, these have been very intense encounters with God. And uh, if you're a normal person, uh, you can kind of reach a point where you go, that's been important. That's been good. I think I'm going to take a break. And I would hasten to say that'll be a mistake. This is the time to go farther on. This is the time for God's grace to come upon you in such a way that you have capacity beyond your normal capacity. So that he gives you a strength and a courage to keep pressing into him and to keep moving farther down the road in the formation of Christ in you. And so I'm not going to continue to address this with the same intensity Sunday by Sunday that we have been in these recent weeks. Uh, So it now falls more to you and the Lord if you're going to continue farther on. Now, here's some things that will be true for you if you're moving farther on, if you're going on down the road. Some characteristics such as. There'll be a greater sense of humility in your life. And we've been defining that all along the way. That means a greater uh, thoughtfulness about God, thinking about God more, thinking about self less. That's what we're talking about with godly humility. Making much of God, making little of self. The second thing will be a, a greater practice of confession. You have been on a confession marathon these last few weeks. You go, well, I'm confessed out. Well, maybe up to today. But the life that continues to go farther on with Christ becomes confessional day by day, even moment by moment. So that we are forthcoming with one another in appropriate relational context. To say, here's where it stands with me and God right now. And some of the stuff that uh, happened in your groups in our solemn assembly needs to be going on in your groups in an ongoing way over these next uh, upcoming weeks and months. Where we continue to be confessional with one another and pray for God's forgiveness over one another. A third thing that will be true is that you'll have a greater, deeper, more far-reaching kind of appreciation for justification. Now, if you just got hung up over that word, then this only illustrates how much farther along you need to keep going. Because when we just mention the word justification, as we've been unpacking it for these weeks, it ought to just break your heart and melt you in the presence of God and stir you to greater and further reaching repentance. 
I am going to unpack this a little bit more this morning before we're through. But if, you, if, if you've not been tracking with us over these past few weeks, I would encourage you to get the past CDs of the past messages or, or check it out online. And let God bring these truths and these realities from, from his word deep within your heart. And then a fourth thing I'll say by way of characteristics, there's going to be a greater burden within you for those that are still under condemnation. Once you understand his justification upon your life, which brings about your redemption and your salvation, then what you begin to see in terms of contrast over what's still not true for your friends or for your loved ones or your work colleagues will break your heart. We've had some songs this morning that Jerry has prayerfully and carefully selected this morning that should have just melted and broken your heart. Before him, about yourself, and about other people. This is not a time for us to be business as usual. To go back to the way that it was. And here is what's going to be true for you if you don't go back to the way that it was. You will be a follower of Christ that is a nonconformist to the culture of our world. You will not allow the talons of our culture to sink within you again. You will be holy. You will be separated from the culture. You'll be up close and personal with the culture. You'll see the culture. You'll have to interact with the culture. But you will be salt and light to the culture rather than enculturated. And Paul very simply said, here's how that Uh, transpires for us in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 he says when when this is operating when the Christ life is operating in you you will not conform that is to to be form with con meaning with you will not have your life formed with the culture but rather you will be transformed From above, there will be a formation upon your life. And how does that take place? He says, by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the Word of God, whether it's through the book, the Bible, or whether it's through prayer, or whether it's through the exhortation of other Christians, however the Holy Spirit of God wants to bring the Word to you, it will begin to give shape to your thoughts, shape to your feelings, shape to your decisions, and all the kinds of behaviors that come out of your decisions. No longer conformed, but only transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the way Jesus unpacked what that renewing of the mind looks like He did so with a parable that uh, we refer to as the parable of the soils. He said the thinking process is kind of like a heart that in some cases is hard. And if, if the soil of your heart is hard, then the word of God does not have any penetration with you. You can hear the Word of God through song. You can hear the Word of God through the reading of the Scriptures. You can hear the Word of God through prayer. You can hear the Word of God in the circle of your small group through other kinds of exhortations. It just bounces right off of you. It has no penetration. Or you can have the kind of heart that is like shallow soil. There is some penetration with God's Word. It does impact your thinking a little bit, but because the soil is shallow, it can't get deep root. And therefore, it does not transform. 
And then the third kind of soil mentioned in the parable is a kind of uncultivated soil. The word of God may get deep within you, but you've got so much other junk there. It chokes out the word of God. And the word of God does not have capacity to to bring forth growth and transformation and fruitfulness in your life. And I dare say that this is the most dangerous one for most of us in the room today. Because if we go back to business as usual, we will go back to overcrowding our lives with activity, with busyness, with work, with social activities, with kids' activities, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons why this has been a powerful season for a lot of us is because we stopped a bunch of stuff. And our fast unloaded us, whether you were fasting from food or media or from something else, and created greater capacity for the Word of God to have penetration and transformation in us, which leads us in the last place where Jesus talked about good soil. Good soil is soft, not hard. It is deep, not shallow. And it is cultivated. It's free of the other encumbrances so that it can have a return 30, 60, even 100 times. Can you imagine one seed of His Word, of His truth coming into your heart and producing a hundredfold of results in you and through you. That's how Jesus unpacked that. Now, a few weeks ago, I brought up Martin Luther to you. And some of you have had a lot of fun talking about Luther. Uh, You've been continuing to reflect on a couple of the little stories, the little anecdotes that I uh, shared with you about him. Uh, Namely, how much he prayed more than anybody else. How much he read scripture more than anybody else. How much he confessed. And uh, some psychoanalysts have concluded he must have had some kind of pathology. He must have had some kind of guilt complex he just couldn't get rid of. And what I contended was this. Because of his legal background, he'd been a lawyer before he entered the monastery. He understood more than most. The law of God, the ways of God, and how much we humans have violated that. And how condemned we stand. He got that more than most people. And therefore, it it created a soft-heartedness in him that was highly responsive. So that he, he had greater capacity to pray. He had greater capacity to soak and to saturate in the scriptures. He had greater capacity for confession and repentance. And the question before the house today is, have we become more Lutheran over these weeks? Have we gotten soft-hearted? Have we become more heightened in our awareness of God? Are we more quick to respond to Him? Now, this is a biblical pattern. This is exactly what we see happening with Paul, the apostle. Let me just quickly track with you on Paul for just a moment. Uh, You know that before he was Paul, he was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of Christ and the saving work of Christ. He was making sure that Christians got arrested, right? But he meets up with Christ on the road to Damascus, and he is so impacted by Christ, he's justified, he's saved, 
And he begins this process of transformation. And you can track that process of transformation through the Bible. For example, when you look in Galatians chapter 1, and he begins to introduce himself to those that he's writing that letter to in Galatia, he makes a big deal about saying, now, I'm Paul, an apostle. I'm not an apostle that's sent by men. I'm an apostle that's been made an apostle by Jesus. I've been made an apostle by God the Father. I come with all the authority of heaven. He makes that big deal to establish his credentials, right? Seven years later, when we read him writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, his tone changes a little bit. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm Paul, and I'm least." Of the apostles. You see this humility thing working in him. You see this greater sensitivity to the things of God and to what's going on in the lives of other people. You see this greater responsiveness developing in him. And then eight years later, when he writes a letter to the the people in Ephesus, he says, you know what? I'm actually less than the least of all God's people. I'm not even the least of the apostles. I'm the least of all God's people. And then when we get way near the end of his life, not long before he dies, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, you know what? Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Do you see this pattern that we're talking about? The closer you come to Christ, the more sanctified, the more holy He is making your life. The greater those four characteristics that I mentioned to you began to come forth in you. And you have a greater sense of humility, a greater sense of His greatness and my worminess, as Luther would say it. We're worms, he would say. Low, debased, wretched, depraved. You have that greater sense of appreciation for just how saved you are. And that burden for those who have yet to come to Christ is far-reaching. It grips your heart. You, You remain broken about that. Now... Paul gives us a picture. He unpacked a lot of that for us in Romans chapter 5. And so I want to ask you to read that with me. If you have your Bible, look at Romans chapter 5. These are some verses that you need to be very familiar with. And uh, I would definitely encourage you to mark the text and have more reflection on it later this week. Maybe have some conversation about it in your small group this week. But in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, therefore, since we have been justified, there's the word, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. In hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is so much there. We could spend an hour and we're not going to. That's why I'm encouraging you to give it more reflection later and maybe even have a conversation about it in your group this week. Let me just highlight real quickly a couple of things. The first thing that he points out is Now that you are in Christ, now that you are going farther on with God because of Christ in your life, you now have peace instead of war. You go, well, Scott, I'm glad to have peace with God, but I don't know that I would necessarily say that I was at war with God. God says you were at war with God. God says you were his enemy. And we tried to unpack this for you a few weeks ago when we talked about the whole matter of treason. So go back to that conversation if you if you can't remember it in the moment. But here's the deal, friends. When we are outside of Christ, when we were when we are in our broken, fallen, depraved, sinful state, we are his enemy. We're not just busted and screwed up. We are his enemy. We defame him. We dishonor him. We despise him. No, 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 you go, Scott, that's too far. I may have been a sinner, but I don't know that I've ever despised God. I don't know that I've ever hated God. We just sang that a few moments ago. Did you even know what you sang? I'm the one that put him on the cross. I'm the one that stood in that crowd that day and scoffed him and mocked him. Did you mean that when you sang that? Because that's the biblical truth. You see, the biblical truth is, if today God made himself vulnerable to us, we would kill him. We are that much his enemy. That if he were to make himself vulnerable to us today, we'd kill him. That is exactly what happened the one and only time he made himself vulnerable with us and came to us in the person of Christ. We rejected him, we humiliated him, we mocked him, we scoffed him, we spit upon him, and we executed him worse than any dog would have ever been executed. Friends, that's how depraved we are outside of Christ. But Paul says, once you have come to Christ, once he has begun to come into the good soil of your heart, 
you now have peace. You've waved the white flag. you surrendered. The war is over for you. And you can be reconciled to Him. You are now justified and not condemned. Now quickly, again, what we mean by that is this. Every sin ever committed has to be punished. There is no sin that is ever winked at. That is ever shrugged at. Like, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. Every sin is punished. Every sin is judged. But when we come to Christ... And we yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to Christ. Then he takes our punishment upon himself. That settles the justice account. And we then are justified so that we can be pardoned. So that we can be forgiven. Otherwise, we will pay for the sin. But for those that are in Christ, Christ paid for the sin. Rather than us. And so here's what Paul says. He says, you've got to see this. You've got to celebrate this. You now have peace. You're not at war with God anymore. You've been reconciled. You've now been justified. You can be pardoned. You now are no longer condemned. And you now have a life of grace. And not rejection. You now have the Christ Life. You now are a son or a daughter. You now are an heir to all the glorious promises of what God wants to give to you. No longer condemned and rejected. And this all comes your way by faith in the saving and atoning work of Jesus. You can't. Do your own works and get there. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You cannot be good enough. It only happens by your faith in what Jesus did. Now, we said at our solemn assembly, we get it. We see what God's up to. And we're going to let him have all of his way, all of his will with us. And we see that ultimately playing out so that we will be catalyst. We will be catalyst to the church on the east side in Redmond. We will be catalyst to churches across the northwest. We will allow God to do something in us and through us that so glorifies him that others... Other believers and other churches will be stirred and encouraged in that kind of way. That there might be a reviving of God's church. And an awakening to those who are dead to Christ right now. Now this is not without precedent. This has happened several times in American history. And one of those times that this kind of great awakening happened in American history, was in the time of a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor who later became the president of Princeton. And he's also uh, responsible for what many consider to be the most famous sermon ever preached on American soil, 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. How many of you have read that sermon? Anybody by chance? Yeah, there's a few of you that have. You can actually uh, do a little search online and the entire sermon will pop up and you can read it if you want to. Is the title a little uh, discouraging to that point? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now, for most of us who live in this modern or, or dare I even say postmodern culture, that title alone, we haven't even gotten into the message. That title alone insults and assaults our, our modern or our postmodern sensibilities. An angry God? My God is not angry. My God is a God of love. My God is a God of acceptance. I don't know how many times you've heard that in today's culture. Maybe you've even said that. Yes, my God is good. My God is loving. My God is accepting and forgiving. My God is also just and holy and full of wrath. If he were not full of wrath, he would not be loving. What parent would allow his or her child to be brutalized by someone else and did not move them and stir them to some kind of wrath? You don't love that child if it didn't move you in that kind of way. And when God sees what happens to the child of his creation, to the child of, of humanity, to the child, if you will, of his son that went to the cross on our behalf, all those things stir him to wrath. He is just. He is going to settle the score, settle the books. Nothing evil and sinful will ever go unresponded to. And Jonathan Edwards, who was such a catalyst to a reviving of the church and an awakening of those who were dead to Christ in his day, was very catalytic to the whole thing by this message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And with great picturesque language, he describes the awful awful, tormenting realities of hell and what it would be for someone to spend forever in hell. And God used that message over and over and over again to awaken dead and hard hearts to himself. And here's a couple of things that Edwards points out about the wrath of God. For one, it's divine. That means it's perfect, it's right, and it is pervasive. The wrath of a human being has kind of an ending point. At some, at some point, the wrath of a human being plays out. The wrath of God never plays out. It's never over. He said it's not only divine, but it's fierce. 
the wrath of God ought to make us tremble with a holy fear before Him. And tremble with an eternal gratitude that He would justify us in Christ and forgive and pardon us and redeem us. And so when Edwards would give that message and he would talk about God's wrath and all of its divinity and fierceness, people who had soft hearts would melt in the presence of God and repent. And tens of thousands of people came to Christ in those days. It was a great awakening and the church changed. The church stopped being so institutional and became this living, dynamic force of God in the world at that time. And that's what we're hoping and praying and believing and following God for right now. Would He dare do that again? Would He manifest Himself in our midst and in this region in ways that would bring awakening and that would stir the church so that the church is what God intends the church to be. Now note the title. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. As descriptive as Edwards got about hell, his point was God's gracious hands still hold us. If He was not gracious, He could just let it go at any point and we could instantaneously be in His wrath. But because of his hands and his graciousness, he continues to tarry, to delay, and to hold us with the hope of our repentance, of our turning to him, of our allowing his word to penetrate us and transform us. So the question is today, are you going to go farther? If you've been on this journey and God's been penetrating your heart and the word is beginning to saturate your thoughts and you, you've been in this process of transformation, will you continue with that? Will you refuse to go back to business as usual, to ho-hum, you know, churchianity? Will you bear the burden for lost friends? Allowed to break your heart. I mean, you, you only have to think five seconds about what eternal wrath looks like. And if you love anybody, you don't want that for them. Will you be burdened about that? Pray for them. Befriend them. Uh, allow God to use you with them. Will you join Jesus in his mission? Now, let me hasten to say, if, if all this is new to you and you're, you're joining the journey late and you go, you know what, I, I'm not sure that I have been justified and saved. Then, friend, that's the first step for you. Will you confess that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that you believe Jesus is that Savior? Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had in these moments to hear some really hard 
words. Words that are sometimes hard to swallow for us, hard to allow to penetrate our hearts. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in us in ways that the soil is soft. That your word can find deep root within us. That our thinking will be transformed. And our heart will be bent only for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, will you respond to him? This is the time to do that. And the little connection card that we make reference to is a tool that you can use to do that. Maybe you would want to indicate in the little prayer space, I'm going to go farther on. Or I'm committing myself to God in this kind of way. Or I will bear the burden. I will be on mission. I will not go back to the way that it was. I will, by God's grace, be holy. I'll be separated to him. However he's speaking to you, however he's stirring you, will you make a fresh commitment to him today? And if you need to receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, indicate that on there. Let me pray for you. If you want to have a conversation about it, I'd be so pleased to have a conversation with you about that. This is also when we worship with our tithes and our offerings. Our ushers will come to receive those. Father, we dedicate ourselves and these gifts to you in Jesus' name.